I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and Kyle introduce each other to films, and in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, so it is the month of December 2020, which means it is once again time for our special monthly Catching Up on Blu-ray episode. Uh, and here and joining me in this endeavor, I have my good buddy Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing excellent, Trevor. Thanks again for having me on another uh, Blu-ray episode. Oh, yeah. Always glad to have you, Brad. Uh, it's always good to have a buddy to talk through the calendar here. Uh, so, folks at home, if you aren't familiar with the format of the Catching Up on Blu-ray episodes, uh, essentially what this is is a uh, monthly review of the physical media releases uh, for each calendar month, in this case, December 2020. Um, basically, we just take a look at any of the uh, DVDs, Blu-rays, and 4Ks uh, that are becoming available for purchase in the calendar month. And uh, anything that jumps out at us as being worthy of speaking about, uh, we just say a little something about it, um, positive and or negative. <laughs> um, so again, if you're not familiar with how this works, uh, generally physical media releases occur on Tuesdays of each week. Uh, so if you'd like to follow along at home with the, the home version, uh, go ahead and navigate to uh, Blu-ray.com, which is a uh, lovely resource for movie news and whatnot. And uh, just head to the release date calendar. And uh, it looks like our first uh, release date uh, occurring on December 1st is a... Uh, looks like there's a lot of reissues, but it looks like there's quite a few interesting things as well here. So, um, Brad, right out the gate... Um, is the Lord of the Rings trilogy, is this the first time it's appearing on 4K? Yeah, yeah. First time for the uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, I think first time for The Hobbit as well. Um, so obviously this is a pretty big deal. Uh, I have not picked these up yet. I do really want to rewatch both of them. But now the thing is, I could be wrong, but I think these are the theatrical versions only. Or no, it, I guess it is extended and theatrical. Um, but there's something, I read something where there's going to be some other ultimate edition coming sometime later next year as well. Um, so they're always going to be reissuing and read like, you know, more bonus features. I, I think the thing that's coming next year might be the two sets combined with new, I don't know. I heard something about that. So that's the only hesitation I have in picking these up, but I probably will get these because, uh. I've been really itching to rewatch the uh, the Lord of the Rings films. It has been way too long for me, way too long. Yeah, it's hard to believe that, man, the, the original trilogy there started in 2001. Holy mm -hmm. shit, like, that was a lot longer ago than I thought. But um, I wish Kyle was here to talk about this with us because, uh, funny enough, uh, he just told me uh, literally like a few minutes ago uh, that he just rewatched uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, oh, he yeah. is a huge uh, just Middle Earth fan in general. Um, so that would include like the Silmarillion and whatnot. Um, he knows the lore inside and out. And in fact, he told me a little story about a, a podcast that he and I uh, both are huge fans of that he was he was getting fanboy rage over um, because uh, <laughs> this this movie podcast was talking about um, the Lord of the Rings films, and apparently they kept flubbing facts and like and events and order of events and whatnot. And yeah. Kyle, being the super fan that he is, was just like motherfucker, get it right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he just he couldn't he couldn't bear to listen to it because it's like these are people I respect and they're just shitting all over the thing that I love. <laughs> I yeah. mean, we've all been there. I, I'm sure you have some like film properties or just media properties that you're 
so in- intertwined with like you care about it so much that it's actually difficult for you to hear other people talk about it <laughs> yeah oh yeah there's definitely some of those i i think uh in terms of the lord of the rings and probably star wars is another one where you know there's just so much even outside of the main films that you know as a casual watcher you know you can be like oh yeah these are great but then talk about them and say i love these but get so many things wrong that like hardcore fans would just be like vomiting in their mouths listening to you so uh sometimes it's best to just keep it short and simple and say oh yeah i think they're great you know don't even add anything else just avoid <laughs> you know just avoid walking into a trap of some sort um and me personally i i don't know uh how you feel i think the first film um in the lord of the rings trilogy is the strongest uh, i don't want to say by far but definitely my favorite um and i i'm curious to uh revisit them and see if i still feel the same way yeah i uh, mean for anyone who cares uh i'm not exactly the biggest war of the rings fan um i haven't read any of the books uh, so maybe that that's why i'm not the biggest fan but uh, just the movies in general um i would agree with you um i think fellowship was the only one i actually saw in the theater and uh, to date is like the only one that I think I genuinely enjoy from front to back. Mm-hmm. Um, all the other ones have some problems here and there that you know it it bothers you to a certain extent. But for me, it's like it just like high fantasy in general just really isn't my that's not my arena. And uh, I just never latched onto these movies as strongly as I think a lot of my contemporaries did. Um, I appreciate the hell out of them because uh, Peter Jackson uh, kind of set the precedent for being the the most like public and open uh, about discussing the making of his films as a director um i think he had like a blog or something that he was keeping for not necessarily these movies but uh, king kong in particular like he was giving daily and or like weekly updates about like the behind the scenes details of the film and uh, it's been said that like this behind the scenes features on like the the DVDs for the Lord of the Rings films are essentially like uh, a low grade film school unto themselves, uh, just because of how candid he is about sharing the details of it. Um, <clears throat> so I I can see how a lot of like film fans, if if this caught you at exactly the right moment in time, it could like kind of create a new interest for you, um, not just for film but like the making of aspect of films. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, they're not my favorite films. Kyle is a super fan, so I'll, I will hold my tongue and, and not say any more than that. <laughs> um, but um, I would really love to see Kyle get his hands on on these collections at some point. Maybe not The Hobbit, because I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone legitimately really likes all three of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say you do, but I, I will not believe you. <laughs> but, I, I have heard, though, that um, they did some work on this release to try and make it more um visually matching in terms of the uh, the original trilogy they tried i don't know if it's like in terms of the visual effects i don't know exactly what they did but apparently there was some uh work done on these films for this release so definitely curious to see how that would look as well because i think one of personally my least favorite things about the hobbit trilogy is just how fake and you know how everything looks fake compared to the original lord of the rings trilogy uh you know like the, the shooting outdoors in New Zealand. I know some of it, the Hobbit was in New Zealand, Zealand as well, but you can tell that a lot of it was done on sound stages and it just does not have that same kind of, uh, 
doesn't feel as real as the uh, original three films. So I'm curious to see if they can, uh, you know, fix that a little bit with this release. Yeah, I mean, Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson has always been like a special effects wizard. I mean, that's part of where my appreciation comes from for the Lord of the Rings films is that from just a pure like cinematography and special effects standpoint, holy shit, those Lord of the Rings films, the first three, um, they have every trick in the book mm-hmm. you can imagine in there. And it's wonderful to watch. Um, it doesn't get me any more invested in the story of the characters, um, but I appreciate the craft that went into it. And it's amazing how much they were able to do in camera. Um, however, as the years went on, it seems like some of those tricks got replaced by, like you said, just like C- CGI trickery and just overall just a feeling of phoniness. Yeah. Like the worst example is the, the fucking treadmills in uh, King Kong um, during the, the Brontosaurus chase. Scene, oh, yeah. Where it's yeah. like, yeah, th- that is that is Jack Black on a wire rig um, jumping around on treadmills. Like you cannot tell me that that's not what that is because that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> And the Hobbit films, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I only saw the first two, and I think mm. even Kyle, super fan that he is, I don't even think he saw that third Hobbit. Film. Now that says something. That says something yeah. right there. That says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, me and my friend, uh, we saw the Hobbit two together, and uh, I think we talked about the film about the length of it, just shitting all over it, <laughs> and most mm-hmm. of it just had to do with some of the special effects problems. In particular, like the the scenes with Smaug, <laughs> the, the dragon, um, Benedict Cumberbatch, the performance capture technology, his performance I thought was wonderful. Um, but some like that the the golden uh, river, oh my god! <laughs> there there are some shots that are like that is blatantly unfinished. Yeah. That is some cyberpunk twenty seventy seven shit right there. <laughs> that yeah, is cyberpunk yeah. on a PS4. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I would really like to see Kyle get his hands on these someday. Uh, I don't know that he has access to a 4K player or, or television at this time, but uh, yeah, I, these are like a future gift for him uh, from me someday because I know how much he loves these films and uh, yeah, I feel like part of me needs to take another look at them as well, um, just because it's been, a, like you said, a really long time, mm-hmm. and maybe I've changed. Uh, who knows? So that happens to me. Like I reassess things as time goes on, and sometimes my opinion changes, but not today, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on, um, we have Popeye, uh, the Robin Williams Popeye, the 40th anniversary edition. Uh, this is a Robert Altman film. Uh, yes. Is this debuting on Blu-ray? I think this is the debut. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I looked it up earlier and I didn't see it have any other sort of release. So yeah, if you're a, if you're a Popeye head, I mean, this is like Christmas came early for you. I mean, I I actually did like the Popeye cartoons when I was mm-hmm. a kid. <clears throat> I did see a handful of them. I think we had some on VHS and stuff. And that theme music and the the spinach and the punching and stuff, what 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 more could you ask for? <laughs> um, right. And from a casting standpoint, I mean, this is a pretty stellar cast. I mean, Shelley Duvall is olive oil, <laughs> like mm-hmm. like she's perfect, and Robin Williams gives it his all. But I remember seeing this when I was fairly young, and just being really puzzled by it. Like it feels really meandering. It doesn't really have much of a plot. 
Um, it it looks like Popeye. It kind of feels like Popeye, but it doesn't feel like a movie. Is what I came away with. <laughs> I was just like, what am I watching? <laughs> it's just like it feels like a bunch of people riffing, and then the movie ends. Um, it it's a as far as I understand, it's not like a super beloved film by any means. But hey, it's cool that it's appearing on Blu-ray forty years after the fact. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'd be curious to watch it at some point just as a kind of oddity. And just, I think the strangest thing about it is that Robert Altman directed it. Um, I know, really. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a weird choice. Yeah, kind of feels like almost like when David Fincher was attached to uh, direct World War Z or something like that. Just like a a really a a weird uh, standout in someone's filmography. Like, really? That's that's what you chose to do? Okay, all right. (laughs) Well, I mean, George Miller did Happy Feet. you never know sometimes maybe maybe robert altman was a a popeye super fan and he might have been yeah they're making a popeye film i need in on that and it's like (laughs) it's not really in your wheelhouse but i'm doing popeye god damn it (laughs) uh but um beside that it looks like we have a couple of uh 4k debuts in the form of beverly hills cop and coming to america Uh, so this would be two of the more prominent uh, eddie murphy films from that era and it looks like uh, Trading Places is also getting a release. Um, I don't know if that's debuting on a on Blu-ray, but um, yeah, it that, is Eddie Murphy month apparently. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, Trading Places I don't think is a debut, and that one is only Blu-ray, and that one's coming through the Paramount uh, Presents label, and also the Golden Child. Um, that one is a debut, and that is Blu-ray only through the Paramount Presents label as well. Um, and I think a lot of this was to coincide with the release of Coming to America, num- number two, not com- not the original Coming to America, Coming <laughs> to America. Um, but I think that's been pushed at least a few months. Um, but they just said, hey, you know, everybody wants to get some Eddie Murphy under the Christmas tree this year, so let's release them all in December anyway. Well, I mean, I'll just go ahead and say it. I, I love all of these films. Um, Golden Child may be the least. Um Trading Places, I know my dad really liked, and he probably made me watch it when I was way too young because uh, that movie's yeah. kind of raunchy. <laughs> but um, I loved it. And Coming to America, of course, same deal. Uh, I seem to recall somebody suing someone over the script for that film. I can't remember exactly who. Um, but Beverly Hills Cop, I think Kyle and I were just talking about the other day that I haven't seen the third one. And I don't think he's seen the second one or something. Uh, it was a weird. It was a weird thing where we were like, "So you mean between the two of us, we've we've seen them all, but neither one of us has seen them." <laughs> um, I really like Beverly Hills Cop one and two, but uh, third one for whatever reason, just never got around to it. And I'm honestly a little bit afraid to check it out because I really do like those first two so much, and mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything about it, which makes me worried about it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, there's been so many reboots and remakes. Are, are they? I think I have heard they're doing a new one. Am I wrong, or am I getting that confused with Coming to America? And I'm just <laughs> lumping them together. I'm not sure. Uh, I would not be surprised at all if they're going to do another Beverly Hills Cop. Um, I don't really know what you would do with it, honestly, uh, because I mean, Axel Foley is such an awesome character, and Eddie Murphy was just unstoppable at this time. At, at this point in time in his career um but yeah all of these movies are fantastic the golden child even even though it's not the best i mean charles dance is a lot of fun in it as the bad guy and uh i can't remember who did the soundtrack but i think it's a french fella and the opening theme music for that movie fucking slaps 
<laughs> I'm like, look it up, Brad. It's it's great. Yeah. Like you yeah. can, you know, the music is is done really well because you can see Eddie Murphy through your ears. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, apparently it's Eddie Murphy month. I don't exactly know why, but I'm I don't have a problem with it. I would. I don't know that I would buy any of these on 4K, but just seeing them laid out in front of me really makes me want to go back and watch them because mm-hmm. yeah. I've seen many. I've seen all of these multiple times, and they're always fun. Um, but damn, uh, this month is already stacked right out the gate. Um, it looks like we have debuting on 4K a big one, uh, one that Kyle and I have been talking about doing an episode on for months now. Uh, that would be Stephen Norrington's Blade from 1998. Uh, holy shit. Uh, Wesley Snipes as Blade, this movie, uh, to use the word again, slaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I really love this movie. It does have it does have some issues here and there, mostly having to do with like structure and editing. Um, but the cool moments are so very, very cool that it kind of makes up for it in the end. Um, how about you, Brad? Do you have much appreciation for Blade? Uh, you know, I got to admit, this is a blind spot for me. I've never seen any of the Blade films. Um, oh, man. Yeah. But uh, this 4K release might be the push that I need to check them out. I definitely want to see the original and, of course, Blade 2 having been done by uh, Guillermo del Toro. I uh, definitely want to watch that one as well. And I don't know how you feel. It seems like the consensus I hear is that the second one is the best um, of the bunch. But I don't know if that's how you feel. Um, I don't know that I agree. It kind of uh, kind of depends on the day of the week, to be honest. I, I think it's a, I think Guillermo's film is like uh, is more even. Mm-hmm. Like it's just obviously he's a very very talented director, and obviously Stephen Dor- Norrington uh, maybe isn't, <laughs> being as he kind of stopped working around the time League of Extraordinary Gentlemen failed, <laughs> and uh, Death Machine, the movie we did earlier, uh, I think last month wasn't exactly brilliant um but he he has passion he worked on fucking aliens in a special effects capacity so he had enough skill to get this done and wesley snipes um really kind of carries the movie in so many ways chris christopherson's pretty great too um brad uh not duriff uh, <laughs> i forget uh what's his fucking face ah this is gonna bug me so i'm gonna look it up steven dorf Brad Dorf, Stephen Dorf, same difference. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Dorf um, can kind of take or leave. Um, but yeah, I think Blade 2 is the more even experience. Like it, mm-hmm. it just feels more consistent in tone and execution. Um, some of the special effects they employ are maybe a little too ambitious for the time. Like there's some CGI stunt doubles that they really jam the camera up their nose and it's like, maybe don't hold on that so long <laughs> like it's the early 2000s man we're not really there yet but you know the matrix was a thing and you know slow motion martial arts scenes were kind of in vogue at the time so it's yeah. a product of its time but I, I think it for me personally it is just like a it's always going to be back and forth between which one i think is superior but uh you should definitely check them out uh, third one, do not fucking bother with. Um, <laughs> just don't. Um, maybe just look up the scene where uh, Triple H and uh, what's his face, uh, Ryan Reynolds throw down. Just mm-hmm. to, just to see the novelty of Vampire Triple H and Ryan Reynolds have a fist fight <laughs> in the center of our vampire movie. <laughs> it's like I thought I was watching Blade. Now we're watching fucking WWF. Cool. <laughs> like, unfortunately, no chair shots are involved, but. 
Um, also, Prison Break as Dracula. Um, I know his name is Dominic Purcell, but I'm sorry, forevermore, I'm just going to call him Prison Break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is his name. <laughs> He's He kind of sucks. And uh, I think the icing on the cake, though, in Blade 3 was um, Jessica Biel making playlists. There's an iPod advertisement in the middle of the movie. Yikes. Where, uh, they're, they're suiting up for battle, and Ryan Reynolds has to tell the audience, like, she's making playlists. <laughs> it's oh, God. Like, Okay. <laughs> oh, that sounds disgusting. Because she, she likes right to kill. There. She likes to kill to the you know top forty. <laughs> oh, I can just picture it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently Wesley Snipes was not happy on the set of that one. So yeah, Blade one and two definitely check them out someday. But three, mm. and uh, I guess uh, Mahershala Ali is uh, all set to be Blade for the Disney Corporation um, mm-hmm. sometime soon. Who knows when? Thanks to COVID, but. Uh, they signed him, and he's a very, very, very talented actor. So I'm sure he'll do just fine. Although, yeah. I don't think, I don't think he'll uh, like replace Wesley Snipes. Um, Wesley Snipes made that role his own. Um, just check it out, Brad. <laughs> You'll know yeah. what I'm talking about. It's it's on my list. It's on my list. Maybe uh, I can take any uh, like uh, Amazon or Best Buy gift cards I get for Christmas and uh, pick up that Blade 4K sometime. <laughs> very nice. Um, so on the same row, we have a Criterion release of what I like to refer to as The Good Crash. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this would be David Cronenberg's Crash from 1996. And as we like to say on Catching Up on Cinema, if it's put out by Criterion, it's probably worth your time. And uh, this is unfortunately a Cronenberg film I have not seen, um, but I've seen a lot of his early filmography, and uh, this is one that was just kind of at that cutoff point where I just I didn't get to it and uh, I really love him as a director um, yeah so this is one I would really like to check out have you seen it uh, I have seen it I gotta say I love Cronenberg this one when I saw it I will say just when I saw it did not work for me I didn't maybe I just didn't get it I don't know but it and might be because when I saw it I was kind of just, I was younger than I was now, obviously, and I was really loving, you know, David Cronenberg's horror stuff, and it is a pretty hard transition into this, uh, you know, erotic movie about car crashes, and um, maybe I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. I definitely want to give it another chance, because I do love Cronenberg, and uh, I think that I probably would get something more out of it now that I kind of know what it is. and certainly it would, I'm sure it would get a Criterion bump, you know, that'd bring it up at least a star. Oh, it's on Criterion, you know, it's got to be good. <laughs> I, I'm the one that's wrong here. <laughs> yeah, no, that is a thing. Like, it oftentimes is like the, I don't know, the prestige of the label is intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> like, like big Papa Criterion's like scowling at you and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, it's a four. It's a four out of five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, sir. Sorry, Mr. Criterion. <laughs> um, but yeah, Crash, and uh, I've been really hesitating uh, like about checking it out, but Existence is one mm-hmm. of his that I'd like to check out that came out around this time period, like late 90s, I think, or early 2000s. Yeah. And I, I've been wary about checking it out because it has to do with like technology that's becoming contemporary technology. And it's like, mm, at the time, maybe it would be more acceptable, but now it might it might end up cringy who knows um but i i do like him so much that i will pretty much literally watch anything he makes although brad correct me if i'm wrong did he do cosmopolis 
He did do Cosmopolis, which uh, I was not a fan of either, if that's what you're about to say. I don't think I've ever done this before, Brad. I turned that off in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I don't do that. Like, I don't give up on movies. Like, if I commit to putting something on, I almost always finish it. And that one, something about the dialogue. Mm-hmm. It was written in such a way that I was like, this is obnoxious. And it might be by design, but oof. Like, nobody sounded like a human being. It didn't look good. Like, the cinematography was kind of irking me, too. And I just couldn't do it. Yeah, his last couple of films, that, and I think his last one was Maps to the Stars, um, definitely had the same kind of feel where, like you said, everybody feels alien. The dialogue is very um, deliberate, and it's, like, delivered in a very weird, monotone way. Um, and I, I think it, I think it is by design because in Cosmopolis, Robert Pattinson, he's, like, some, you know, New York high-level executive sort of thing. And then in Maps to the Stars, it's in Hollywood, so... The idea that these people are, you know, that they are alien in some ways because they they can't connect to us common folk. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say Cosmopolis, it definitely didn't work for me. That Maybe I'd give it another shot. I, I liked Maps to the Stars a little bit more. I still didn't love it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's because he, that was way back in like 2014. So I don't know what he's uh, been up to lately. I don't know if he uh, is kind of semi-retired at this point or if he's. Well, maybe gonna try and get a couple more, a uh, couple more films out of him because I would love to see, even if, even if it's something, not great like Cosmopolis. At least it's an interesting failure. I would say I'm always interested for what he's gonna do next. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same page where it's like I'm always gonna pay attention, good or bad. But um, at this point, I mean, man, he's had a long career. Yeah, he could hang it up, and you know, his sons, I guess, picked up the torch. At least uh, it sounds like it based on. I think you you had a recent episode on the cinema speak oh, on yeah. his son. Brandon. Well, we'll we'll get to that uh, just uh, another week from now, later this month. Not n- another week in real time. Another week in terms of our <laughs> episode here. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. But, um, moving right along, um, we have a steelbook of Top Gun on 4K that's not debuting on the format. Um, we yep. have Bugs Bunny's 80th anniversary collection, um, 1930 to 1969. Um, and then I'm sure there's tons and tons of contemporary Bugs Bunny stuff on top of that. Um, the media world is inundated with Bugs Bunny. Um, I like Bugs Bunny. Like, <laughs> like, like I, I watched a lot of the old Warner Brothers cartoons that had all the celebrity cameos for people who were dead like 30, 40 years before, <laughs> before I got around to watching them. Mm-hmm. And it was good times. I'm, I'm glad we still have the, the Looney Tunes and whatnot. Um, this is not something I would consider purchasing. Although, is that a Funko in there? Uh, yeah, it looks like it might be. Yeah, actually. <laughs> um, I know you and uh, at least one of your friends uh, collects the Funkos. Um, I never, I never bit for that. I never got into that, and thank God because um, otherwise my bank account would probably be empty at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely for the best because once you start, it's a pretty slippery slope to just oh yeah, I'll pick up one more. Oh, that's a cool looking one. It's only ten dollars. Yeah, I'll get another. Yeah, so it's best to just avoid them altogether. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Once you pop, you just can't stop. Yeah, pretty and, much. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have uh, movies and Gundam models uh, to empty my my cash reserves on. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, thankfully, I didn't get into a Funko. But um, below that, uh, we have a 4K that I was on the fence about purchasing um, because of the reviews for it. It sounds like the the bump in image fidelity is not fantastic. But um, 
the HBO series Chernobyl from 2019 is debuting on 4K. Um, I loved this show. Okay. Um, yeah. It was yeah. so good. Um, I I <laughs> I think I had like a free weekend of HBO, and that that was basically what I used it for. It was just like I. I can't remember why I got the free weekend or whatever, but I, I watched whatever I was intending to use it for, and then I was like, what else, what else? And I saw this, and I watched it front to back. I pretty much binged it. I don't usually do that. And, yeah, I was really struck by how how incredible this was. Yeah, definitely one of the best shows in the last five years or so. I mean, I remember because uh, I watched it kind of when it was premiering on HBO and I think it started airing immediately after the final season of Game of Thrones ended, because I remember they were kind of promoting that every time you would start a new episode in the final season of Game of Thrones, it would say, you know, you get the little preview coming next month, Chernobyl. And I was like, oh, that looks that looks pretty good. I'm looking forward to that. And just kind of crazy how, you know, pretty much everyone hated the ending of Game of Thrones. And then Chernobyl came out right in the back of it. And just like, I've never, I haven't heard anybody say anything bad about this. Like even... I've got some people I work with, very casual TV watchers, but even they were like, "Oh, you got to watch Chernobyl. It is amazing. Like it's it it hit. It's like you know, it's kind of in the zone of uh, I don't want to say true crime, but like a true event that is very catastrophic and disturbing. Where it's kind of riding this wave where casual people are interested in the subject matter, and then just from a filmmaking standpoint, it's very well done. So it, it just it's great for everybody, I would say, and. Uh, yeah, very, very good. Uh, Jared Harris is... I've always loved him, but he's so good in this, as in the lead. Yeah, I know quite a few people who... He was always, like, a, a that guy. Like, yeah. You always notice him. He's always great, but it took this series for them to start, like, knowing his name and, like, consuming content because he's in it, because mm-hmm. he's a selling point. Yeah, everybody's fantastic in this show, and um, I just love the the structure of it and some of the themes about just, like logistics and just bureaucracy and and trying to save face in the like in the face of certain doom and things like that yeah. it's it's one of those it's one of those stories where you just find yourself like it's like watching mr bean almost <laughs> where it's like you're like god damn it this, ooh, man like whistler's mother man yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. it's like you're, you're just watching this like continually worsening situation and you're just so mad at everybody and it keeps going and it keeps getting worse and so it's like if you if you get swept up in stories i could see it being like intolerable like just unbearable for some people because it it's frustrating uh but that's just a sign of investment on your part that's like you are engaged in the story um and i'm aware that it has maybe some inaccuracies to the actual historical events but you know as just a story it's it's a fantastic production Um, yeah i i'm going to own this on blu-ray or 4k for sure um i think i might actually just go with the blu-ray though because it's cheaper and from what i understand the 4k doesn't really make a difference yeah yeah um never never would have thought comparing chernobyl to mr bean but that was uh i was pretty right on i was pretty Pretty good I mean, comparison. you got the reference, so it, it works. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to say, like, going into Chernobyl, I thought it looked good, but the guy who wrote it, Craig Mazin, um, I remember before the show started, I was like, oh, let's see who uh, worked on this. And the guy who wrote every episode, his previous uh, efforts before this included the Hangover sequels, some of the scary movie sequels, Identity Thief with Melissa McCarthy, and I saw that and I was like, oh, 
I don't know about this show. This might not be very good. And got, got to say, he he brought it. He stepped up to the plate. I don't know where he was hiding that talent from inside him, but man, he uh, looking at his uh, filmography. There's a there's a standout in a good way, and it's Chernobyl. <laughs> I'm just picturing him showing up on the set, like supervising the script and whatnot, and like Stone Skarsgård pulling him aside and be like, "No, listen to me, you little fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say, and it's gonna be good." See? <laughs> and the guy's like, "Okay, sir. What? Whatever. Don't hurt me." Right. Like, okay, let's go do this fucking nuclear movie <laughs> or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> it's just like he wasn't actually involved in the production. The actors just winged it and it turned out great. Hey, <laughs> however it worked out, it worked out for the best. Oh yeah. No, I'm I'm going to buy that at some point. Yeah. Uh, I my mouse was hovering over it a few weeks ago, but um moving right along, we have a bunch of reissues of movies that have been out for a while, so I'm just going to gloss over those. Um, we have the Mission Impossible television series coming to Blu-ray, uh, and we have one of Joel Schumacher's earliest films, uh, DC Cab from 1983. Not mm. sure if this is debuting on Blu-ray, but this is a funny movie. Um, my brother my brother made the whole family watch this one night because we couldn't decide what to watch. And he was like, oh, man, we got to watch DC Cab. <laughs> and it was hilarious. It's it's a terrible movie. Yeah. Uh, there's a very young Bill Maher in there. Um, Mr. T is the headliner. And it's a, it's a strange little movie that actually, in retrospect, um, kind of fits in pretty neatly in Joel Schumacher's filmography. Uh, there's some weird director's quirks that are in there that when I first saw it, I didn't I didn't know those things. But now that I've spent more time watching his movies, I look back on it and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally a Joel Schumacher movie. Like ridiculousness and all. That is certainly his movie. Hmm. Well, I'm kind of curious to check that out now. I, I had no idea that uh, he did that. So it's not good, um, but <laughs> it, it's a it's kind of good bad. In, yeah. in like a delightful sort of way. And uh, beside that, we have a movie that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, did you cover this for your Cinema Speak podcast, Brad? Yeah, The Rental, uh, directed by uh, little Davey Franco. I shouldn't say that. Dave Franco. He's, he's not <laughs> little Davey, Davey Franco. Franco anymore. <laughs> um, no, The Rental, I got to say, I'm definitely kind of, I don't want to say the minority. I, I quite like this. I thought it was very good. It's uh, kind of a slasher. It's... It's kind of like a relationship drama mixed with a slasher. Uh, the guy who wrote it, along with Dave Franco, is um, uh, Joe Swanberg, who has worked on some like uh, films like Drinking Buddies, which is just a very you know straightforward relationship drama kind of film. Um, and I kind of liked the mix of those two together, and I, I had a lot of fun with this. It seems like I've pretty much only seen you know mediocre to slightly good reviews of this um but count me in the camp that liked it more than most uh you know maybe it could have gone a little bit you know more in the terms of gore kind of when the kills do come it tends to cut away which is a little disappointing but uh i, th- I thought it was a very fun setup and I-, I had a good time with it so curious to check this one out um now I I don't know if I'll be purchasing this because I actually uh, had to purchase it already because when we uh, agreed to review the film I thought it was still available to rent um, and then turns out it was only available to buy digitally so uh, I ended up having to buy it uh, through Amazon digitally uh, so I don't know if I'll be purchasing this on Blu-ray but uh, I do own it through Amazon so I might uh, give it another rewatch because I uh, I had fun with it very nice yeah um, yeah I listened to your review for it and it sounded um sounded worthwhile 
I would check it out. I mm-hmm. don't think I would buy it, uh, as you unfortunately had to do, yeah. but um, <laughs> I would I would definitely check it out. It might be a fun like date night movie or something. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. Like this, I wouldn't classify this just based on your comments about it on your episode. Um, I wouldn't classify this as what the kids call uh, elevated horror. But I'm noticing that we're in the midst of this trend where it's a subtextual horror. Mm-hmm. It's like there's all these horror movies coming out where it's a horror movie in genre classification, but that's never what it's actually about. Like Midsommar fits into that category. Uh, Hereditary fits in that category. Get Out fits into that category. It's like, yes, this is a horror movie, but really the core of the story when you peel back all the layers is about other shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting. I think that's it's like a cultural movement that's happening that I'd be curious to see how it unfolds in the years to come, especially with fucking COVID and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, de- definitely, you know, horror goes through a lot of trends. And certainly if mm-hmm. we're in a trend of elevated horror, you know, sometimes there's a few movies I can think of that maybe are leaning a little too far into that where, you know, maybe what they have to say isn't all that interesting. And it's like, oh, I kind of wish this was just more of a straightforward, fun horror movie. But in terms of a trend that's going to stick around for a little while, I think elevated horror is certainly one of the better trends. I mean, you can't really fault uh, a trend in horror to, as too much for just you know trying to elevate the genre. Uh, it's you know certainly better than like some of the uh, self-aware slashers that came after Scream. That was certainly a trend. Uh, torture porn, that that trend. So uh, right now we're in the trend of elevated horror, and I think that's that's a pretty good space to be. We're in the we're in the trend of film school horror. Yeah, and the people making the products have gone to film school <laughs> yeah. and uh, know what it means to create themes and uh, parables and allegories and whatnot. Um, yeah. as opposed to like, hey, you know, stabbing people on camera is really popular. We should do more of that. <laughs> or if you're like Dave Franco, you don't even uh, need to go to film school. You just can uh, direct your first movie based on your name alone. Cast your wife in the lead role, and uh, you're good to go. Um, I mean, maybe he went to film school. I guess I shouldn't assume that. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. But uh, yeah, you know, having having the Franco name helps a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it didn't turn out bad. So yeah, um, uh, it was it was a pleasant surprise for me. Well, cool. Um, and beside that, we have The Barbarians from 1987. I know this movie based on an internet review from. An internet personality from a bygone age. Um, I believe it was uh, Noah Antweiler, the Spoony One. Um, I was a huge fan of his, and then he uh, he uh, hit a emotional wall and did not really stick the landing and um, ceased to produce content, as far as I'm aware. Um, but all I know about this movie is that uh, the title characters are a pair of bodybuilding brothers one of whom uh, his catchphrase consists of belching very loudly <laughs> so instead of like an arnold schwarzenegger style one-liner it was 1987 um he just burps and apparently his neck is so muscular if you try to hang him he breaks the ropes with his neck muscles and uh there's a giant penis monster that hides in the swamps and uh i think he has a woman in his stomach it's a it's very Italian. Uh, <laughs> but this movie looks terrible. It's one of those things where I would not be surprised if uh, the YouTube video that I was talking about, the review for it, was largely what caused somebody to obtain the licensing for this film. Was they saw the same video that I did all those years ago and were like, "Hey, barbarians look stupid. Let's distribute it and get paid." <laughs> like, if five people buy it, I'll make my money back. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, and people will buy it. You, you know that. There are people that will buy it. Yeah, and it's funny because I'm looking at the preview discs, and it looks like they didn't do a bad job with the, with the pressing of the disc. It looks mm. like a handsome product for a shitty movie. Yeah, looks um, like a Scorpion but, releasing, I think uh, it says, did it. So. Yeah, I um, don't know them. Do you? I, I don't think I know. I, I've heard of them. I don't know if I own any of their films, though. Um, I can't think of any of anything else they've done. Oh, they've definitely done movies I'm familiar with. It looks like they have Dario Argento's uh, opera, which is on my li- list of giallo. I should I, watch. I own that one, and that was a great release. So, Okay, so it's in good hands. Uh, <laughs> the Barbarians are in good hands. And Terror Train, I think you have also, right? Uh, I own the Scream Factory version of that one. Um, okay. I think Scream Factory lost the rights, and Scorpion picked it up. <laughs> Scorpion, always getting that layup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but moving on, we have uh, John Belushi and Blair Brown in The Continental Divide, 1981. Uh, we have Perry Mason, the complete series. So this would be a redo of the uh, Raymond Burr uh, television series. Um, this was an HBO show, correct? Yeah. Uh, I think this is only the f- complete first season. I think they are planning on doing more seasons. Um, but uh, I did not check this out. I don't know. It didn't didn't really sound of interest to me um i've never really seen any of the original perry mason and i didn't hear too much uh buzz surrounding this you know a lot of a lot of these hbo shows you know like chernobyl you can kind of judge based on the buzz they draw and this one kind of seemed to come and go without much fanfare unfortunately yeah uh, that that was the vibe i got from it um the cinematography and the trailers for it looked really moody real Mm -hmm. dark yeah Um, and I've I've seen a few minutes here and there of like Perry Mason stuff over the years. Um, really, my only connection to Raymond Burr comes in the form of the Godzilla movies. Um, he was in the American version of the original from 1956, and uh, Godzilla 1985, where a very overweight and uh, Orson Welles esque Raymond Burr shows up to <laughs> uh, do some fortune cookie. Uh, bullshit or he just has some mysticism where he he knows the psychology of the giant nuclear lizard and and in the meantime take a look at these dr pepper advertisements we have in the war room of the pentagon (laughs) godzilla 1985 is wonderful you should check it out (laughs) um specifically the american version the japanese one's a fine godzilla movie but the Mm -hmm. the the way they handled the the localization is pretty charming but yeah, uh, it, nothing about this uh, new Perry Mason really jumped out at me, other than the moodiness of it, just the general look of it. Yeah. Um, but moving right along, uh, we have Burt Lancaster in Apache. Uh, we have a Christopher Walken movie, The Dogs of War, from 1980. <laughs> uh, Christopher Walken uh, spent a lot of time in Vietnam. <laughs> uh, he did a lot of movies based around the Vietnam War, and this would appear to fit into that as well. Um, he also did McBain, <laughs> um, which I started the other day and could not finish because it was like action schlock that literally the only reason I put on McBain uh, was because of the Simpsons skits with the McBain character, the oh, okay. Wolf Castle. And I was like, oh, man, I got to see what McBain is. <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. It, it's nothing like what the i mean i would not be surprised if the uh, the villain of mcbain i didn't even get far enough um was named mendoza um which would be from the simpsons sketch but i didn't get far enough along to see if they ever match up at all but it seemed like just a completely different product mm-hmm. um 
but yeah, uh, between the deer hunter, the dogs of war, and McBain, uh, it seems like Christopher Walken did a lot of Vietnam movies. And uh, we have yeah. Jack Palance in Attack from 1956. Uh, we have a bunch of reissues and some anime releases, which, uh, if you're not familiar with how we do these catching up on Blu-ray episodes, we don't often talk about anime releases just because there's so goddamn many of them from month to month. And I'm so out of the game that I don't exactly know which ones are prestige worthy, like which ones are worth talking about. Uh, So if we don't talk about your favorite anime here, um, that's why. Um, I will talk about the ones I do know though. Uh, So keeping the ball rolling here, um, we have a couple of box sets of the Equalizer and the Jumanji films. we have Sybil Danning in L.A. Bounty from 1989. I've seen that woman's breasts way too many times. I don't think <laughs> I need to see them again. Um, this is uh, one one anime release that I will make note of. We have Mobile Suit Gundam Seed, 2002 to 2004. This was the big revival of Gundam that, um, because of the year in which it came out, like this is the one that all the nostalgic Gundam fans are like really keen on. Um, I hated the character design so very much in the show that I just I couldn't do it. But like, it's funny hearing people my age like gush about the series, and then me and like my good buddy just be like, "Oh my god, like another <laughs> Seed fan! Get the fuck out of here!" Those <laughs> like, mouth breathers, those fucking Seed fans, <laughs> get out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> um, but this this hurts because I'm looking at this and it's like, this is a nostalgia release from 2002. It's like, man, I was in fucking high school. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was I was a human being with like a, a well-defined personality by the time ta- by the time that came out, and this is quali- this qualifies as a nostalgia piece. <laughs> We're getting old, Ouch. man. Getting old, man. Yeah. Um, what about this, Brad? Uh, made in Italy, starring is that Liam Neeson? Yeah, I believe it is. Uh, who is that next to him? It looks like. Uh... I thought for a second there, I thought it was Timothy Chalamet, but I guess not. Um, but that is Liam Neeson. Uh, I don't know much about this film, uh, but it is a 2020 release. Yeah, I, I've never heard of it, but it's a Shout Factory disc from 2020. Um, uh, maybe it's worthwhile. Who knows? I, I really like Liam Neeson. I've said it before, I think, talking to you, that just something about his bone structure, like the mm-hmm. construction, his silhouette, for some reason, as a kid, I latched onto it, maybe because I don't have a very well-defined nose and he does (laughs) like maybe i was secretly jealous of that or something (laughs) (laughs) but but i don't know ever since i was a kid i always really liked liam neeson so i will watch him in a lot of shit and this doesn't this doesn't exactly look like shit um i'm not in a hurry to check out that honest thief movie that seemed like a a fart in the wind um, when it came out well i'll say I would much rather watch Honest Thief than whatever this Made in Italy is. At least Honest Thief looks like it's trying to have some fun, whether it actually is. I don't know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, I think I think the trailer for Honest Thief at least pun- like promises at least one instance of someone being hit in the face. Yeah. And that's a huge selling point for me personally. This Made in Italy movie, he's smiling on the cover. That always looks weird. Like Liam Neeson should never be happy in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just that's just wrong. Like he should be he should be surly, <laughs> drunk, or hitting people, <laughs> or all three at the same time. <laughs> Poor guy, his wife died, and he's not allowed to be happy in movies. Come on. <laughs> well, why do you think he started hitting people in his movies more often? That's true. <laughs> that his is, wife that died. is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but moving right along, um, we have a whole swath of. Uh, 
PS5 4K Movie Essential re-releases? I don't know what the fuck this is all about. Yeah, just some sort of tie-in with the release of the PS5 since it has a 4K player if you get the disc version. Um, so these just have... I don't even know if the actual case is any different. I don't. It might just be a slipcover that says PS5 4K Essential. I don't, if you buy one of these, if you own one of these and I see it in your house, I will throw it in the garbage and buy you... <laughs> these this is so gross to me this is disgusting like this is you know it's like i love buying things i love spending money like you know sometimes capitalism can be fun this is the dark side of capitalism right here (laughs) this is just money for profit's sake this is just gross yeah it it reeks of like a a christmas time like hustle where the sony's trying to trick parents into thinking like oh it says essential my my son or my daughter needs this for their PS5. It needs yeah. to be packaged with it. Otherwise, it won't work, right? <laughs> they need Venom. Otherwise, the PS5 won't function. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. God they, they damn it. Timmy, Timmy needs Bloodshot and Bad Boys for Life. God damn it. Otherwise, <laughs> his PS5 won't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, as long as they don't give away the twist in Bloodshot on the back uh, plot synopsis, maybe... I'm I'm sure they do, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure when you put it in the disc, it just, like, automatically jumps to that scene. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you're probably, like, oh, no! Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, so I don't think I saw anything else for the first week of December, so let's go ahead and bounce on down to the next week, and the next release date uh, occurs on December 8th, and... Holy crap, it's another big one. December is pretty stacked, at Mm -hmm. least up front anyway. Um, So the first one we got here is Total Recall on 4K. Um, So this would be a Paul Verhoeven. I I am saying that correctly. It's been confirmed from an actual Dutch person. Um, (laughs) uh, This is a Paul Verhoeven film, and uh, holy shit. We, me and my brother just did a a two-hour talk about it a few weeks ago, and I love this movie. Um, are you familiar with it, Brad? Uh, this is one. Uh, it's another blind spot for me. I have not seen this one. Um, at least maybe I saw it on TV like a long time. Maybe. But if I did, I, I have no memory of it. So it's one I definitely need to uh, revisit. Well, visit for the first time, I should say. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I would put this very high on your list. Uh, if mm-hmm. you're in the mood for like a an action movie, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger style action movie, but maybe one that you... It's very, very good for discussion afterwards. It was was very cathartic uh, to actually talk about the movie at length with my brother because it it does both very, very well. Or in the moment, just as a pure Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie, it delivers the goods. Like it's one of his best straight up action movies for sure. Mm -hmm. But then there's a couple more layers to it that are worthy of discussion after the fact. And it it just makes for a really depthful experience that... um, yeah, it's. Uh, I would put this at at or near the top of uh, Arnie's filmography, and uh, Paul Verhoeven. It's it's also pretty pretty up there. Um, it, it's really funny to me how it just occurred to me that's like, man, I was raised on that Crazy Dutchman's films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. so many of my favorite movies are from him. Uh, who would have thought? But um, yeah, definitely check that one out. Um, I already. Funny enough, I only own that on dvd and i think i stole that from my brother <laughs> so it's maybe it's time to upgrade yeah, yeah. yeah um and beside that um, i'm curious if you have any thoughts about this because i really don't um but we have uh the godfather comma coda 
colon, the death of Michael Corleone from 1990. So this would be, this would be um, Francis Ford Coppola's, I guess, redux of mm-hmm. The Godfather Part Three. Correct. Yeah, it's a new cut of the film because obviously everybody kind of trashes the uh, the original version of it. Um, now I will say uh, I have seen the first two Godfather films. I like them quite a bit. I mean, they're not like films I go to and revisit all the time, but I think they are great films. Never watched the third one because I just heard that it was not great, and it's not like I was, you know, the story of the Godfather wasn't like compelling me. Though know, I got to finish the trilogy, so. Never checked out the third one, um, but I am kind of curious now. I don't know if I would do it, but to go and watch the original version of the third one and watch this new cut just to see the changes that are made because I think it's interesting, you know, the fact that he's going back to it and changing some things. And I've heard from the little bit that I've heard, it, you know, it seems like people are saying it is uh, a better version of the film. Um, I don't know how much has changed in it um but yeah i'm definitely curious to watch it at some point yeah i i've said it before maybe even talking to you i am a sucker for recuts like i mean there's a reason i more than likely will pony up the cash for hbo max to see the Zack snyder cut of justice League. yeah because i am an absolute sucker for for alternate cuts of pre-existing films it's just it's a very fascinating thing to me maybe because i have some editing experience and I'm well aware of how much of a change that can make. Just mm-hmm. taking the, exactly the same raw elements and just making little cuts here and there, maybe even changing the color grading here and there, uh, it really can make a brand new film. And it, editing is filmmaking. I, I think, I can't remember if it was Tarantino who said that, where it's like um, a film is not a film until it's been edited. Um, it It's one of those things, it's, it's a personal thing. Um, Maybe some people think it's silly, but I will always show up for things like this, even for movies I don't like, especially for films I don't like. You think I liked the Joss Whedon Justice League? <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a, that, is, that is vanilla, the motion picture. That is vanilla ice cream on film. Um, it's not even that bad. It's just flat as fuck. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I would check this out. I barely remember The Godfather Part 3, though. So like you I'd probably have to watch them both and yeah. I think I would have fun doing it so I'm not about to spend money on this but um maybe someday in the future like if I'm if I've run out of other options I'll, I'll go back and check this out mm-hmm. it's kind of exciting that it happened uh just because it is such a generally maligned film um and he's generally a well-respected director um, and he does seem to have a penchant for revisiting stuff George Lucas style. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, not to totally derail us, but uh, I meant to say this about the the Hobbit films. I was it piqued my interest when you said they they changed some things here and there, and it sounded like uh, it had to do with like aesthetic presentation, like like maybe color grading or something, just yeah, to make it more yeah. consistent. And uh, one I know of one other instance in which that was done, and it actually irks me horribly um uh the uh ghost in the shell the 90s anime version not the scar joe one um Mm -hmm. when they put that movie out on blu-ray they packaged it as ghost in the shell i think uh 2.0 or something okay and by default uh the film has been 
re rejiggered in such a way where they changed the color grading and they added a whole bunch of computer effects to the animation that weren't there in the 90s. Oof, yeah. And the color grading has like a, a golden and like purple sheen to it to match a anime TV show uh, and the sequel to the film to make all three of those products more consistent in look and feel. Mm-hmm. And when I watched it, like when I first put the disc into my player, I was like, oh, what the fuck is this? Because the, <laughs> the no, the strongest color element in the original Ghost in the Shell is green. It's a very green and very black film. And then you watch the 2.0 version, it's like it's all gold. It looks like the, the new Deus Ex games or something. And you're mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And you have to like dive through the menus and like do some digging to get the original presentation of the film. And um, it's not 1080p. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. So you mean the only way I can watch this in HD is I think they uh, they recently put out a 4K disc of of the 90s film. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't bothered to check if it's the 2.0 or the original version. But even that one, I've read some shit about them fucking it up again. Or I guess the the music that plays over the end credits is changed from the original version. Hmm. But yeah, that's the only, for whatever reason, that just popped into my head. That's like, yeah, I remember putting that disc in and just being like, what the fuck did you do? (laughs) Like, no, I am not watching this. And to date, I have not watched it in the 2.0 format because it it just bothered me so much. It reminds me of the uh, the Star Wars films, the fact that I still have to pull out my my old DVDs that I'm lucky enough to own to watch the original, uh, original cuts of them. Yeah, um, folks, folks at home that haven't been following along from month to month, uh, Brad on a on a different show we do together, Tales from the Shelf. He uh, he shared with me a a, a whopper. Uh, he has an untouched version of the Star Wars trilogy, the original trilogy, uh, on DVD. Uh, so that would be like the original theatrical presentation without the special edition bullshit. Uh, so those are special. I'm glad you have those. Yeah, it's just funny when, like, when I got them, I was pretty young, and it was like I had no idea that <laughs> it was anything. And now it's like, you know, like I would never, I would never part with those unless I get some industry insider information that uh, they're going to release the original cuts, and then maybe I can, you know, sell these before that information becomes public. Might be a might be a form of insider trading there, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving along is a uh, Michael Mann's Collateral. Is that debuting on 4K, Brad? I think that's a debut. I think so. Um, kind of curious to s- see how this one would look because uh, the majority of it was shot digitally and you know very early on in the you know digital lifespan. Uh, so I'm curious how this would look on 4K. But uh, it's a, it's a good film. I watched it a few months ago now, but uh, I I like Collateral quite a bit. Yeah, I I really enjoy this film. However, I don't like the look of it. Um, yeah, it, it's a small gripe. Uh, I'd really do enjoy the film. I do own it on Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, uh, the digital era of Michael Mann, like this and Public Enemies, I think are really grotesque at times. Especially the motion blur and stuff. Like mm-hmm. it, it just looks chintzy. It looks cheap. And in the case of Collateral, it kind of works because, I mean, he has his, like, obsession with, what, downtown L.A. or whatever. And, like, he likes his street lighting and whatnot. Yeah. Um, like, street lamps and whatnot. And it, it works much better in that movie. Public Enemies, it, it bothered me because I was like, this is a period piece. Like, why does it look like it was shot on my dad's handy cam? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is wrong. I don't like yeah. this. 
Um, speaking of which, I think Stephen Dorff was in Public Enemies. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. And once Pops again, it's again. just like, oh, you're here? Moving on. <laughs> uh, but moving right along, we have a movie that uh, we hinted at earlier. This is another one that Brad covered on his Cinespeak podcast. Uh, what would that be, Brad? Uh, we got Possessor. Possessor uh, Uncut, I guess I should say. Um be aware that if you try to rent it on Amazon, it is not the uncut version, unfortunately, at least when I tried to rent it. Um, but yeah, I, this is uh, Brandon Cronenberg, uh, so obviously the son of David Cronenberg. Definitely feels like the spawn of Cronenberg. I mean, it feels <laughs> he's taken exactly after his dad's style, I mean, to a T. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, just kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I like this film a lot. I very gory, uh, shocking in some instances. I mean, I, I was able to handle it. I didn't think it was like, you know, anything where I was like getting sick to my stomach. But, then, you know, there are some moments that make you kind of go, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Um, but very cool premise, you know, just a unique blend of science fiction and horror. And uh, it's definitely worth checking out if you are a fan of uh, either Cronenberg, I guess. Maybe maybe you're a fan of uh, Brandon. I don't, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I'm a fran- fan of uh, Brandon just yet. I know he did, was it Antiviral, I think? Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen um, that one. Yeah, I've read up on it. Like, I've read reviews when it came out because, much like Dave Franco, the name Cronenberg certainly carries a lot of weight. So when yeah. that movie came out, my ears certainly perked up, but I didn't bother to see it. Um, this one, though, has been uh, advertised pretty heavily, um, and I would very much like to check it out. Um, sounded like you enjoyed it quite a bit yeah I, I had a few issues in terms of the plot and I, I did have a few questions at the end um so i might try and revisit this uh in the near future just to see if any of those issues kind of get uh smoothed out but yeah overall i uh i, I had a good time with it yeah uh, i'm definitely gonna check this out in fact um i know kyle's interested in this one as well uh so we may end up doing an episode on it in the future who knows nice. um Moving right along, we have a 4K release of Cinema Paradiso from 1988. This is an Arrow release. Uh, appears to be a Italian film. I'm not familiar with it, uh, other than it's pretty critically acclaimed. Um, and beside that, we have another Arrow release for a movie that I am very familiar with, and this would be Ryuhei Kitamura's uh, Versus from the year 2000. Um, this was one of the very first DVDs I ever bought. Mm. Um, it was a bootleg. Uh, I somehow convinced my mother to buy me a region-free DVD player that did not work. Um, <laughs> uh, so the first time I got to watch this was in my friend's basement uh, on his Japanese PlayStation 2. Uh, and the subtitles were not of great quality. The image quality was of bootleg quality. I still own the fucking DVD. Um, and uh, yeah, this movie came out and hit me at exactly the right time in my life, uh, such that I followed this director uh every every step of the way uh, for several years after this film came out we did a review for it a long time ago on catching up on cinema um this movie's very special to me in a lot of ways and this director as well in fact um very recently brad and i did a uh, tales from the shelf episode wherein we were talking about our fave filmmakers and uh, i ended up talking about dante lamb and uh, brad ended up talking about david lynch uh but it needs to be said like literally a minute before we started recording, I was debating between this director, Yuhei Kitamura, and mm. Dante Lam. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was it was going to be one of the two, and I ended up going with Dante Lam, but I easily could have gone the other way. 
this is a disc that um, I might pick up uh, just because literally the only way I've ever seen this movie is on a shitty bootleg DVD. <laughs> um, and, you know, I love it so much that it is something for like, as a memento, it would be nice to have like a high quality transfer of it. Although I did read on the Instagram just the other day that Arrow put out a public statement saying, hey, we're aware this disc looks like crap, but you need to understand it was shot on crap. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, whatever complaints you have, uh, they're invalid because not only did we do the best we could, the director was involved in the process of printing the discs and he even requested changes in the color grading. Uh, so I guess I know what scenes they're talking about. There's a couple of like, um, I don't know, scenes where there's some like really dramatic uh, color cr- color elements where like the whole scene will be bathed in green or bathed in red and whatnot. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he said, could we just like nix that? Like yeah. I did it because that's what I had to do to make the film, but can we just get rid of that? <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at the Blu-ray.com review, and uh, they say the single biggest response to the new release has been the color timing, especially the absence of sometimes extreme filters that were employed for both the theatrical exhibition and the now long ago Blu-ray release. This is one of the few times in my personal experience that I can recall a studio and or label responding to fans' reactions to this situation. So, uh, yeah, some people in the Blu-ray.com forums sound like they have not been uh, too happy with that. Well, I mean, it's I guess it's a reason to keep my shitty bootleg. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, not that I would, not that I would mind. I I did think that those scenes were kind of gaudy looking and a little out of place. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll pick this up someday. Mm-hmm. Um, but moving right along, we have Westworld Season 3 on 4K. Um, I think you were the one that told me Westworld takes a pretty steep dive at some point. I mean, I don't even know if dive is a word. I could I never <laughs> really got. I watched, I don't know why I watched two full seasons of it because the first season, everybody was saying how great it was. I watched it. I watched the whole season, gave it a chance. Couldn't really get into it. But the first season does end on a note where it's like, okay, now things are going to start getting good. And so I watched the second season, and I would say uh, things still didn't get good. So then when season three came out, and it's like, okay, now this is where it's going to get. I was like, no, I've given you two chances. I'm out. Yeah, I mean, I already told the story, I don't know when, about uh, the fella from my work giving me the first season of this um, as a random gift. So I'm not going to retell that story. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I own the first season of Westworld still in the fucking shrink wrap because I never asked for it. Some asshole just gave it to me and then got fired like a week later. (laughs) So if he's listening, I'm sorry, um, but I'm not going to watch Westworld. I might sell it or something. (laughs) um, Moving on, we have a Blu-ray of My Science Project from 1985, which is one of those, I don't know, like 80s. 80s children's like sci-fi adventure stories that it's not familiar to me but i have heard it brought up on like other podcasts so it's 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 known to a certain circle of people but it wasn't one that i grew up with um Mm -hmm. but it's definitely gonna get bought by some people oh yeah looks like it'd be fun it does and it seems to have a fun cast and stuff it it actually does look like a lot of fun i would watch it if it was available to me but um beside that we have another criterion release of uh mouché i believe um, this appears to be French, maybe. Um, again, don't know a thing about it, but it is Criterion. Probably worth your time. Um, we have Yellowstone Season 3. 
uh, Fellini's Casanova from 1976. Uh, we have a Shohei Imamura uh, box set, uh, Survivor's Ballads, uh, so that would be a trilogy of films. We have a Buster Keaton collection, and then we have another Criterion release, uh, Symbiopsychotaxoplasm. Uh, I'm sorry, I just had to say that because it sounds fun. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. You did better than I did when I tried to say it a few weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, this is a, a William Greaves a pair of films, I believe. Uh, again, don't know a thing about it, but it's got that Criterion label, and Mr. Criterion wants your money, so you better fucking hand it over. <laughs> um, we have uh, The Return of the Musketeers from Kino. Uh, this is a 1989 release, and uh, Kyle and I have been kind of uh, playing around with the idea of doing another Musketeers movie because mm-hmm. he has a thing about the Musketeers. Um, we've done two of those movies, I think. Or Yeah, The Man, The Iron Mask, and the Disney Three Musketeers films. So he really likes the Musketeers, and he also really likes Oliver Reed. And apparently he did a whole slew of Musketeer films around this time period, and uh I would be really excited to actually check these out. You know, a swashbuckler from the 80s with a only kind of drunk Oliver Reed. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. sure, like I'll, I'll check that out. Um, and beside that, we have something that, Brad, I'm going to go out on a limb here. See if, see if you can follow along. Smiley Face Killers. Lionsgate or not Lionsgate? Oh, um, I guess I I'm, would probably say Lionsgate, just going on the cover. Uh, the title, and yeah, the cover makes me. Th- Let's check it out. Yep, it's a Lions game. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like this game. <laughs> um, I have no idea what it is, but it's from 2020. It's an, and it's a Lions gate, so I'm sure there will be at least one instance of someone being shot and or punched. Looks like uh, written by Brett Easton Ellis. I guess that's kind of worth noting. Uh, who he wrote American Psycho. Is that correct? Am I right in that? Uh, I think. I believe you're correct. Yeah. So don't know anything about this, but could be uh, of interest, I guess. Well, it has Crispin Glover in it, so you know it's going to be weird. (laughs) 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 Uh, Moving right along, though, we have The Greek Tycoon from 1978. Uh, I like that cover. It's uh, Mm -hmm. painterly. Yeah. yeah. Um, We have something that is titled after the sound your butt makes when you fart. Uh, (laughs) From 1954. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. Look it up. Yeah. Um, Pretty good cast, though. Jack Lemmon, Kim Novak. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll go I'll go along with that. <laughs> Fart the motion picture starring Jack so, Lemmon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they weren't um, all classy back then. Even back then, people loved doing goofy comedies named after farts or whatever this is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the fat guy fall down humor. It was yeah, it's yeah. been popular since the Stone Age. Yeah. <laughs> um I'm just gonna skip some of the stuff. We have a whole bunch of uh old reissues of stuff. Um f- films from the fifties and sixties and whatnot. Uh including Under the Yum Yum Tree <laughs> from nineteen sixty-three. Um and I'll just stop for a second on and uh key in on something I do know a little something about. Um, one that I am kind of kicking myself over not ordering because I bet you it's out of print already. Um, Howl from Beyond the Fog. Um, this is limited to 1,000 printings. This is from SRS Cinema. This is a modern-day uh, daikaiju film, so a Japanese like rubber suit monster movie. Um, I've been following the production of this movie for a very long time. 
and uh, the makers of it have been posting photos of like uh, just production photos of like building the monster suit and like building the sets and all that kind of stuff and it's just been a joy to watch unfold um, but it's been going on for so fucking long that I, I completely lost track of like when or even if the movie was ever going to come out. Yeah. Um, and then I think a few months ago I caught wind of it, like having a website, a very small website. It, it's the only way to order the film, like direct. And at the time I was like, oh, that sounds neat. I'd like to check that out. And then I think I overlooked the fact that it's like, oh, we're going only going to make a thousand. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's already sold out by now, but this is something that's like, damn it, I, I would have given them my money. I just didn't know I could. <laughs> that's the worst. That is the worst. Yeah, it it seems to happen from time to time. Although um, the uh, uh, Into Darkness documentary series part two, I did give them my money, and I believe those discs are probably going to be issued pretty soon here. Nice. So. Um, they, uh, I think two years in a row, they did a Halloween release where they had a Kickstarter that you, you pay, you pay before midnight on Halloween and, uh, they'll get you your disc eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, and twice in a row I've, I've, I've done that. So we'll see. Um, maybe I can get lucky with this Hal from Beyond the Fog. Although if they're charging an exorbitant amount, fuck them. No, <laughs> no way. <laughs> But uh, balls to you, Brad. What what uh what jumps out at you? Uh, I gotta be honest. For this week, uh, not much else. Um, I uh, nothing here that I even have heard of or recognize. So, yeah, let's go ahead and skip it then, because I'm I'm right there with you. Well, um, then moving into the next week, there is something I think uh, could be worth mentioning. We got uh Christopher Nolan's Tenet finally making its way to watch at home. Um. Certainly one of my uh, most hyped up movies of uh, 2020, just because it was the film that was put out there as the movie that would get people back to cinemas. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I I liked the film. I definitely didn't love it. Uh, So I'm curious to watch it again to see because it is even for a Christopher Nolan movie. It is very I don't want to say tough to follow, but there's a lot going on in terms of it being with time travel and the science of everything. So could be rewarding with multiple rewatches. I don't know, but um, yeah, it, it was certainly had some fun moments for sure. Um, so yeah, I actually already have picked this up and I probably will watch it uh, maybe to see if I can squeeze it on a top 10 list for 2020. Um, we will see, but uh, yeah, this one definitely worth a mentioning. Oh yeah, this was this was a lot of fun to to hear you uh, hype up from week to week on uh, <laughs> on the Cinema Speak podcast because uh, you and many 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 other people, uh, this was the movie that you know was supposed to be the big one this year. Yeah. Um, even even amidst all the COVID shenanigans, it was still supposed to be the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it seems like it kind of came and went, and people really haven't been talking about it as much as you would have expected. Um, as a guy with a movie podcast, uh, I, I'm kind of kicking myself. I probably should have reviewed this by now, but um, I, I'm not doing theaters right now. Um, yeah. But it's it's been out for about a week as of recording date. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure Kyle and I will both have to get to this eventually. And uh, thankfully, uh, watching it at home, we can put on subtitles, which, as far as I hear, in the theater experience would have been handy <laughs> um, because there's a lot of scenes of people talking through masks. Uh, and a lot of just 
weird sound mixing, which seems to be a, a thing with Christopher Nolan's films. I, I'll never forget how loud the gunshots in most of his movies that I've seen in the theaters have been. Mm-hmm. It's deafening. Yeah. Um, so I, I can imagine dialogue interspersed among gunfire in his movies is probably very difficult to absorb in the theater. Yeah, and uh, if you're if you're a Nolan fan, if this ever comes to HBO Max, uh, you might not want to watch it on HBO Max because he is going off on their service. I oh. don't know if you've seen any of the headlines. I have, I have. <laughs> Claiming what it is the them? worst streaming yeah. <laughs> service. I mean, to be fair, in terms of their user interface, I sort of agree with him. Um, but in terms of the quality of the content, I, I have to strongly disagree with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, people shit talk HBO Max a lot. And yet, for some reason, I'm the guy who's sitting back here being like, I think it looks nice. (laughs) There's a lot of good stuff on there. A lot of good, like, older classic films on there that, like, you know, you would not find on a Netflix or a Hulu that are definitely favoring the the new, the shiny, you know. they Like, what classic movies are on Netflix to service anymore? Hardly anything. Um, And in terms of classic, we're talking, like, probably they would consider something from the 80s. That's their classic films. Whereas uh, HBO Max does have a pretty solid selection of uh, older titles. No, I, I've been saying it for a while now. I more than likely will end up getting HBO mm-hmm. Max, despite Christopher Nolan and the rest of the world shitting all over it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I'm an idiot. But uh, it still seems enticing to me. But yeah, oh, Tenet, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to blind buy this, but I very much do want to see it. Yeah, definitely um, worth it, a watch for sure. Yeah, um, if only for Elizabeth Debicki, because uh, oh, yeah. she she works for me. Um, to say that much, can't uh, see but... her as uh, Princess Diana on the next season of The Crown. <laughs> oh, is that so? I think so. I think that's uh, yeah. When they're because they're recasting everyone going into season five, because they always after two seasons they age up all the characters to a degree, and I believe she is going to take over. I'm assuming probably only for one season um, of the character, but uh, yeah, I'm curious because I think she does look like a almost a spitting image of her i mean you put her in that hairstyle and yeah, yeah she got she kind of has the the nose line and the eyes and whatnot i can, yep, I can yep. see it but uh, well i guess i'm watching the crown <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, moving on though um we have an arrow release of one of my very favorite films um i this was the movie that um when i was a little kid um there was a nintendo game an nes game that i used to piss my brother off with so much because um, from week to week, or however many weeks in between, uh, we only got to rent games every so often. And uh, because, you know, two brothers, my parents would be like, okay, this week you get to pick the game. Um, I would always pick the same fucking game. And <laughs> my brother would be like, dude, you've beaten it how many times? Like, by now we could have bought it and <laughs> saved money and whatnot. I used to rent Snow Brothers all the time. And I rented it so many times and enjoyed it so much that my mom to this day knows the music from from this game that we were renting in like the late 80s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, the long story short, the movie equivalent of that, of Snow Brothers, was Tremors because I made my parents rent Tremors all the fucking time. And I'm sure my brother just rolled his eyes every time like, dude, we only get to do this every so often, man. Like, pick something new. Doesn't yeah. matter if it's good or bad, just new, different. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know Tremors intimately. I love it. I, I own a not so great Blu-ray of it. Um, I think both you and I have a little bit of catching up to do on this franchise. I think we're both missing the snow one and now the island one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was that six and seven, I think? Yeah. 
Yeah, I was um, I was telling my one friend we were talking. I don't know how we started talking about tremors, but uh, got brought up and uh, he we were talking and he had no idea that there were that many. He was like, "Isn't there only like one or two? And I'm like, "No, there's like seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. No, how yeah. how dare he not know that? But um, <laughs> but yeah, this is an Arrow release on 4K, so I'm sure they did a bang up job with it. Um, by all rights, this is a disc I should have in my collection just based on how much I love it and the fact that my girlfriend hasn't seen it and I'm steadily like force feeding her all the garbage that I grew up on. Mm-hmm. Like I made her watch Bloodsport the other day and <laughs> I don't think she liked it, but it has Van Damme's butt. So, you know, she got a few seconds of joy out of it here and there. It, um, it is funny, like looking back at the movies you would rent and rewatch as kids like you think kids are stupid they don't know what's good and what's not but like at least for you with tremors and me and mine that i rented over and over and over again was gremlins i oh, think those nice. are both solid like i would say they're still great movies and i i don't think it's nostalgia blinding me to though i think they are great movies so it's interesting even as kids you kind of knew what where a level of quality was yeah yeah there, there's like some sort of internal like barometer where it's like there's there's just like there is crap (laughs) but then there's stuff that's not quite crap and yeah tremors and gremlins both of them are examples of kind of schlocky movies but with exceptional acting and writing Mm -hmm. and a little bit more love and detail put into the special effects work as well yeah so they're they are schlock but they're extremely high quality schlock um and that's that's so cool that you watched the original gremlins for me gremlins 2 was the one i watched a lot the first that was the one my mom wouldn't let me rent that because that one was rated pg-13 oh i would would always rent the first one and eventually she just got so sick of it she was like fine you can watch gremlins 2 even though it was only like four or whatever and i mean really it's like it's probably even less bad than the first one it's just there was no pg-13 for the first one so that's why it was pg that makes sense. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah. man, now now that I'm thinking about it, not to completely derail us, um, not that we we're ever on the rails, but um, <laughs> for whatever reason, when I was a kid, uh, sequels, number two, uh, was was like what I liked most, apparently, because mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, I watched that infinitely more than the first one, although these days I prefer the first one because mm-hmm. I'm an adult. <laughs> um, Gremlins 2, Terminator 2, Aliens... And uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yep. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, not Temple of Doom. Uh, no, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's there's at least one other that comes to mind. But yeah, for some... Oh, um, fuck. I can't... Well, I lost it. <laughs> but yeah, for whatever reason, uh, number twos uh, were really big with me. Oh, Home Alone 2 was the one I was thinking of. I mm-hmm. watched Home Alone 2 many, many more times than the first one. Love that bird lady. yeah the poopy bird lady (laughs) with with a heart of gold (laughs) and no green card (laughs) uh moving right along uh, we have the traditional uh hammer horror release this i think there's somebody who just has to let out a steady trickle of hammer horror films because it seems every month there's at least one and Mm -hmm. uh, this would be the curse of frankenstein uh christopher lee and peter cushing uh those are all great as far as i understand um I've always heard it said that uh, uh, Peter Cushing's Dr. Frankenstein is like one of the best horror villains um, in film history because yeah. he's he's like the consistent element between all those films and he's like constantly crafting new schemes to do more stupid shit with science. 
um, I haven't seen all of them. I've only seen a couple of the early ones. And yeah, he's great. Um, and I can't remember if Christopher Lee speaks in this one, but I, I certainly remember reading that there was a certain point in those Dracula movies where he got mad and he said, fuck it, I don't want any dialogue in these movies anymore because it's all shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in your movie, but Dracula's going to be mute, goddammit. Nice, <laughs> nice. Um, beside that, we have uh, Tex Avery, Screwball Classics Volume 2. Uh, Tex Avery has a particular brand of, like, cartoon comedy that it's it's fun uh, he, he was never like my guy but every every so often he'd have a sketch or two that would be really really great like everybody knows from the mask uh, the the wolf and the hot gal and stuff mm-hmm. I've certainly seen that short a few times here and there but um, bouncing on down to the next row we have something i already have in my possession um, and brad knows it for sure <laughs> <laughs> um, this would be the ipman complete collection uh, from 2008 to 2019, this would be Ipman 1 through 4, the ones directed by Wilson Yip and headlined by Donnie Yen. Um, yeah, uh, I actually just uh, ran through the highlights of all these movies, meaning the scenes where people are punched. Um, and it's actually kind of interesting because the, the 4K presentation of these films, I've seen these on DVD, Blu-ray, and now 4K. Um, the visual presentation of them uh the first one does not look good on 4k it actually looked kind of crap not Mm. gonna lie um doesn't mean it's a bad movie it just doesn't look great something about the way it was processed or filmed or something um but then by the time you get to the second and the third and the fourth it's like oof these are handsome discs (laughs) um uh i love these movies they're not quite a guilty pleasure they're extraordinarily patriotic chinese films i'm not chinese so it's a little bit uncomfortable at times especially since uh, the core plot of the first film was about um, how evil the Japanese are <laughs> or were. And, uh, you know, raising my hand right here, kind of have some Japanese heritage in me. So it's like, oh, <laughs> fuck, we sucked. <laughs> like, so it's a little uncomfortable there. Although I do find it very ironic that uh, the composer that I spotlighted on an episode of Tales from the Shelf that Brad and I did previously, we were talking about favorite film composers. Um, Kenji Kawai was someone I talked about quite a bit. Uh, he composed all these films. I do think it's funny that Japanese composer working on a film from China where the Japanese are made to look very bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but he he really knocked out of the park. Uh, the music he did for all four of these movies, um, every single one of them, he brought his A game. Like, there's not a lazy effort in all four of them, and that's saying quite a bit. Uh, for a, for a movie with like a, a really strong theme music, you would expect like some a lot of recycled elements kind of like kind of like the first three diehard movies where it's like i love michael Kamen as a as a composer but there's a lot of recycled material across all three of those movies and it, it i mean it gets better by the third one because they do instead of ode to joy they do when uh, johnny comes marching home as like the core motif of the theme music but diehard 2 in particular it's like that is literally the same action cue from the previous film <laughs> like, <laughs> like the timing and everything it's identical um, yeah, but yeah, uh, Brad, have you seen any of these Ipman films? Uh, no, I have not. I definitely have put them on my list uh, ever since you've been, you know, recommending them so highly. And I got to say, the the set looks gorgeous. Like just from the picture I'm looking at here, it looks like a beautiful set. Oh, it's a handsome package. It yeah. has a poster and a photo book. Uh, the box has a nice textured quality to it. it. Has like a canvas kind of feel to it. Nice. And it's like fifty bucks. For really? four, that's 4K it? discs. 
for like four 4K discs. It is a handsome fucking package. That's a pretty good price. That is a pretty good price. I mean, that's literally why I bought it. Is because I guess I I have bought these movies three times previously. I I had bootleg DVDs, uh, Hong Kong Blu-rays. I got an American Blu-ray 4K of the fourth one, and now I'm upgrading all that to a 4K like American version of all four movies. And it was mostly because of the price. It was so reasonable that I was like, sure. <laughs> it's like I know I'm gonna watch these movies again. May as well do it, you know, in 4K. Yep, gotta do it. Gotta upgrade. <laughs> Every so often, yeah, you you just gotta. Um, but moving on from Ipman, we have a a, a blue underground disc. Um, as far as I know, these guys take schlock and then uh, p- put together some bang up 4K discs for it. Uh, so they take shit films and make them look gorgeous. Uh, this would be Vigilante from 1982 and uh, is headlined by Robert Forster, um, who passed away very recently, and uh, Fred Williamson as well. That's kind of cool. <laughs> he, he did a lot of schlock as well. Um, yeah. I'm sure this is a fun 80s schlock movie. Um, I don't own any Blue Underground discs, but it sounds like they do such a good job that maybe one of these days I'll you know, try them out sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they've been putting that, out a lot of stuff lately. On 4K. Yeah, it seems like seems like uh, every month there's at least one 4K disc mm-hmm. from them. And beside that, we have a Criterion release of uh, Alejandro González Inaritu's uh, Amores Peros, which I do not, I don't have any firsthand experience with. I have seen um, some of Inaritu's films, but I know this one by reputation. It's supposed to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've seen this one. I think I've seen Twenty One Grams. But I, I haven't seen this one, which I know 21 Grams came out a couple of years later. But uh, I do want to check this one out. I'm not, like, the biggest Inuritu fan. Um, like, I think Birdman was a little overrated. Um, but, I mean, every single movie I've seen of his, I at least, you know, there's a level of craftsmanship and quality there. And I at least like every single one of his films that I've seen. Um, so, yeah, I do want to check this one out. Uh does have a two-and-a-half-hour runtime though. So, I don't know when I would, when I would get to it. But... <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know when I would get to it either, but um, he he's a very well respected director. Um, the Revenant was good enough, um, just from an audio visual mm-hmm. standpoint. It was the first 4K disc I ever bought, actually. Um, and Same that was with out- me, actually. Cool. Yeah, that in <laughs> the shallows. A- I bought that in the shallows together when I upgraded. I picked up the shallows pretty recently, actually. I saw that in the theater, um, mm-hmm. and uh, for a long time I was eyeing it because. Uh, Actually, you were the one that got me to pick it up, I think, because we were talking about creature features and how we're yep. kind of suckers for monster movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And after that conversation, I was like, man, The Shells was kind of fun. And we were talking about Crawl, I think. And I, I was yeah. drawing comparisons between the two, uh, of which there are many to be made. Um, and in doing like a little bit of research on Blu-ray.com, um, this is probably why you bought it as well. Um, the the grade for like the the visual fidelity of that disc was like off the charts mm-hmm. and uh, sure enough I, I got it pretty recently like a few months ago and i watched it and i was like holy shit that's that's a handsome disc <laughs> um, yeah it looks fantastic but um yeah you know is not one of my favorite directors or anything i've only seen like one of his movies two i think um but i'd very much like to check out birdman despite you know not the best reviews and uh, even Babel, like I've heard enough about it that seems it seems worthwhile. Yeah. Um, yep. Haven't but, seen that one mo- either, but 
someday, you know, <laughs> it's one of those where it's like, I know it's good, but you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. Uh, but moving on down, uh, we have a movie that I am going to spotlight because I literally just finished recording an episode on it, like right before I talked to you, Brad. Um, Jim Cummings, The Wolf of Snow Hollow from 2020. This is coming to Blu-ray, uh, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, I ended up watching it through YouTube, uh, $5.99 rental, which wasn't wasn't super happy about but <laughs> but now that i've seen the movie part of me wants to say maybe i'll end up buying it because i really really enjoyed it um, Interesting. this was this was jim cummings's second at bat as a director um he has a credit for like almost every job you can imagine in the film industry on his imdb um, which is encouraging tells me that he's passionate um, for fuck's sake he has a he has a pa credit on captain america winter soldier for visual effects <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that means, but it has nothing to do with writing, directing, or acting. Um, so it just shows me that he he's multifaceted. And mm-hmm. uh, his only other feature is Thunder Road from 2018. And uh, the only slightly negative reviews I've seen for The Wolf of Snow Hollow have to do with drawing comparisons between the two and critics making claims that he seems like a one-trick pony or something. Like, tonally, it seemed too similar to this one. But I haven't seen that yeah. one. So this movie... Um, being the only example I have of his work, uh, I think he's one to watch. Um, I don't know that he'll ever get beyond small indie films. He seems to have a a strong sense of what he wants. A lot of the dialogue feels very intentional, a lot of the editing as well. Um, but yeah, I thought The Wolf of Snow Hollow was really, really good. Um, it, was, and it was a big surprise. Does this have a Christmas connection to go along with your guys' theme, or is it just because of the snow connection? It's mostly the snow. Um, I think we do technically cross Christmas because uh, during the finale of the film, uh, the I don't know the name of the song, but it's the, the song you hear at New Year's when the ball is dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that plays over the sequence. So we certainly cross um, the holiday season. Um, so it's not really a Christmas film per se, but it's got snow. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious. I, I wanted to know if I needed to rush out and watch this in the next five days or whatever. No, um, no, no, no. Okay, no. okay. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely check it out if you're at all interested. Yeah. Um, no. And also, uh, just just so everyone's aware, it's mostly a comedy. It is. Okay. It is a horror film, but just so you know, it is pretty fucking funny, and it's okay to laugh at it. <laughs> um, Beside that, we have a movie that um, I'm not aware of, but maybe you are. Uh, the Dark and the Wicked, Brad? Is this one known to you? Uh, I feel like maybe I heard the name. Could have just been from Blu-ray.com. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know much um, about this. But um, Oh, actually, no, I do. Okay, I know where I heard this. Uh, it's from uh, Brian Bertino, who uh, did The Strangers, which uh, I'm a big fan of. I, I love The, the Strangers. And um, this one, I think I was just looking up. I don't know if I was looking up like I think because my one friend really into horror movies. And so I was looking up movies that we could review um, on a future episode. And I saw this pop up and he did it. And I was like, oh, I haven't heard any fanfare on this. Um, He also directed a movie called The Monster, which uh, was pretty good. Um, It starred um, I can't think of her name. uh, I can't think of her name, but uh, it had a, you know, respectable actress in it. Zoe Kazan. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so he's only done a handful of films, but I liked uh, to loved each of his previous films. So curious to check this one out. I know nothing about it, but just his name is enough to uh, sell me on it. 
Yeah, um, actually, I'm full of shit. <laughs> um, I just realized uh, Kyle, my usual co-host for Catching Up on Cinema, he actually sent me a trailer for this a few days ago. Mm. And uh, both of us had the same reaction. We t- I texted him back as soon as I watched it. Damn, Todd got old. Because um, Xander Berkeley's in this. And, ah, uh, he, yeah. he plays Todd the stepdad from Terminator 2. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yeah, he does look a little uh, rough these days. But um, yeah, he showed me the trailer for this. And he said he's kept his eye on it for a while now. And uh, it looks like uh, fun rural horror. Um, it, again, it feels a little bit elevated. Uh, feels like there's some more subtext to the story. Um, and yeah, I, I, both Kyle and I, Kyle especially, uh, really enjoyed The Strangers in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is one that I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle makes me do a review for it sometime soon. Um, I didn't realize it came out uh, this month. I thought it was due out much later. So yeah, that's a surprise. Uh, I'm just looking at I mean, this isn't something you can judge a movie on, but it is ninety uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know how many reviews, but I'm I'm oh. I might have to add this on my list. I might have to see if not say it your could, buddy. but yeah, could potentially your... be a top ten of uh, twenty twenty. If uh, I might have to squeeze this in, yeah, you might have to call an audible, get your buddy on the horn, and I might uh, have to, yeah, do because I mean we're getting to the end of twenty twenty, and this one ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's yeah, a, yeah, that's something. <laughs> Uh, but moving on, we have The Expanse Season 4. The only reason I draw attention to that is uh, apparently my girlfriend's obsessed with that show, um, such that I'm not obligated to be there uh, to watch it with her. It's just like, I'm going to go away for a while. I'll leave you to your thing. <laughs> and then a whole season's gone. <laughs> it's like, hang on. Because like, I'll just like drop in to like watch an episode and I'll be like, people they died? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I've, I've watched like 12 episodes since then. It's like, shit (laughs) wow you really hit it but um not a lot to say about it other than that um moving on we have something that has the certified fresh stamp on it so they're really trying to sell it to you somehow any way they can in fact Uh, we have alone uh, from 2020 from magnolia pictures and this is directed by john hyams and i get i unfortunately get the hyamses uh confused a lot because there's i think it's peter and john and it's a father and a son, but both of them have like a Van Damme connection. <laughs> um, and I get them mixed up so frequently, it's really frustrating. Uh, John, uh, oh, he's the good one, I think. Uh, so Peter, I think, did like the 90s movies, and John picked up in like the 2000s. Both of them have worked with Van Damme multiple times. Uh, mm-hmm. John did a. Uh, Universal Soldier Regeneration and Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, which stars my boy Scott Atkins. So he's good in my book. And uh, both of those <laughs> films are actually um, exceptional direct-to-video action films. Uh, mm-hmm. Day of Reckoning in particular, if you're looking for like like, like the raid style, like uh, they call it uh, splatter-foo. So like martial arts, but with an emphasis on gore and stuff in between all the you know fanciful flips and kicks and stuff. It's fucking great. <laughs> it really is like exceptional for the genre. Um, I don't know anything about this alone movie, but uh, John Hyams is a competent director for sure. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's not half bad. I've I've heard some good things about it. Um, even aside from the certified fresh sticker, um, <laughs> a few uh, podcasts I listened to have uh, covered it, and uh, yeah, it's, I mean I haven't checked it out yet, but I've heard some pretty solid takes on it yeah um 
I, the reason why I always draw attention to that sticker is because personally, I don't put any weight on it whatsoever. Like it means nothing to me. To me, yeah. it just seems like a, a lame attempt to promote something that they didn't spend any money to promote. <laughs> um, and speaking of which, we have another one of those, the Beach House from 2019. Um, this looks like a Shutter original. Um, I don't know this one. Um, do you, Brad? Yeah, I, I checked this out on Shutter uh, a few months ago. Yeah, it was okay. It was, you know, had some good kind of uh, creature gore effects. It was similar to uh, that movie we reviewed, Color Out of Space, um, okay. in terms of it being kind of like a cosmic horror with some gore and body horror stuff in there. Um, but it definitely, you could tell that it was a lower budget film, um, and I wasn't totally crazy about it. But it had some some good moments. Uh, if you're interested in this kind of film, it's worth checking out. But um, I'm kind of surprised it is certified fresh, to be honest. That is a, that is a sticker I did not expect to be on this Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, we have Bodies, Rest, and Motion, which uh, has a all-star cast of 90s folks. We have Phoebe Cates, Bridget, F- mm, Bridget. Bridget Fonda, Tim Roth, and Eric Stoltz, uh, who is apparently not covered in pounds of makeup, um, which is unusual for Eric Stoltz, <laughs> because uh, that is a running gag in his filmography. Um, I like the cast. Bridget, fuck. Phoebe, fuck. Um, <laughs> this works Can't for go me. wrong. Uh, yeah. Uh, we have an MVD release of Gun Crazy from 1992. Is Dre- very young Drew Barrymore in it. MVD specializes in crap, so I'd imagine this follows in that trend um we have a movie that was very recently covered on red letter media the the guys from wisconsin as i like to refer to them uh american rickshaw from 1989 this movie appears to be a complete fucking mess um but it it looks astounding if you're if you're down for like a good bad experience um this looks utterly confounding and hilarious um i'm not about to spend money on it but i just think the timing is perfect because it's like Again, much like I mentioned about the YouTube video uh, about the review for the Barbarians, I would not be surprised if the people who picked up the distribution rights for this watch Red Letter Media, <laughs> um, because I <laughs> cannot think of another way in which you'd find out about it, its existence. Yeah. Um, but we also have the same distributor, Cauldron Films, putting out Abracadabra, which has an interesting cover. I wouldn't call it good, but I like the guillotine and the big old hands. Mm-hmm. I like the color palette as well. It's kind of eye-catching. Um, we have, oh, shit, they're starting to put out Dragon Ball Z again. <laughs> it's like, how many fucking times are we going to do this? Um, we have The Call from 2020. Um, Cinedime Films is putting out the disc. Uh, I don't know this one, but... Uh, the font is almost Carpenter-esque. Uh, they're definitely going for that throwback vibe. And, and oh, I'm, I'm right. The plot takes place in 1987. <laughs> Appears to be a horror film of some kind. Can't say if it's any good. More than likely not. Um, yeah. And then we have Chick Fight from 2020. Uh, so if you were ever curious as to what happened to Malin Ackerman, now we know. Uh, she's making films for Redbox because I know this to be a film that was financed by Redbox. <laughs> so this is a... A MMA comedy drama starring Malin Ackerman, Bella Thorne. Uh, so that'll that'll move some discs right there. There's a lot of people that want her OnlyFans that are more than likely happy to spend some money on this shit movie. <laughs> and then we have poor Alec Baldwin, who's probably just along for the ride. <laughs> um, I bet you this movie's not yeah. as bad as I'm making it sound. Um, it's it 
it's kind of funny actually because like if you if you're the people who run redbox it's like why don't we just make redbox movies for redbox because i mean there's a lot of people online that use the term redbox movie and this mm-hmm. seems like exactly that yeah, why not build yeah. it from the ground up specifically to be a redbox film yeah and i mean uh, alec baldwin his trump impression probably didn't pay the bills so obviously he had to take this up as well uh probably did this uh Sunday through Friday, kept Saturday night open, obviously. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, definitely not one I will be uh, rushing out to watch. Well, more than likely what happened was he he told himself, like, okay, I have a feeling I'm going to throw another fit on an airplane. I should make sure that my finances are in order before I do that, though. <laughs> so he's like, clear my schedule that weekend so I can, you know, pad the bank account a little bit. And then I can start some shit on a plane again. <laughs> um, but beside that, we have a movie that actually popped into my head just the other day for no reason whatsoever. Um, I haven't seen it. I know almost nothing about it. But Waiting for the Barbarians from 2019. Um, the reason it popped into my head was because Kyle and I were talking about Johnny Depp. Um, he has been in the headlines recently because he was uh, excused from the uh, Fantastic Beasts franchise. So apparently now we're going to have three actors play the same character across three movies. Is that correct? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, um, I recently saw on, uh, I think it was Tubi, uh, I finally got around to watching Black Mass. um, And I really liked Johnny Depp in that role as uh, Whitey Bulger. Mm -hmm. And Kyle and I were talking about Johnny Depp and we're theorizing like, was that like his last really good performance like before he you know went off into fantastic beasts and ill-fated pirate sequels and whatnot and i haven't bothered to even pull up like his imdb or anything but part of me wanted to say yes but then there's this that i don't know a thing about but i see that he's in it and for once he's not wearing pounds of makeup or silly headdresses and i have to think that maybe he tried (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious because I do like the cast of this film quite a bit. You have uh, Johnny Depp, Robert, Robert Pattinson, and Mark Rylance, who's nobody's favorite, but somehow he got that Academy Award. Uh, <laughs> it's like politics and Hollywood never happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know a thing about this, but I'd be curious to see if Johnny Depp showed up to play. Yeah, never heard of it until now. Yeah, uh, I saw a trailer for it a long time ago. It looked to be a strange little movie that, um, like I said, I watched a trailer for it a long time ago, so it took its time getting to Blu-ray. But moving right along, it looks like we have a... I can't tell if this is a film. I think it's a documentary about Audrey Hepburn, uh, just titled Audrey. Uh, We have a blue underground disc uh, on Blu-ray of Maniac, from 1980 that's a that's a big one i'm surprised that's not on 4k honestly because that's like a pillar of the genre i think it actually is uh has been on 4k yeah it came out earlier this year i don't know if this oh, is just okay. some uh re-release on blu-ray or what this is but yeah the 4k came out r- earlier in the year okay gotcha um that's a big deal for slasher fans and yeah whatnot. oh yeah um and it looks like the rest of that week is just bunch of anime and indie movies that unfortunately it's not the right kind of indie movie i'm not gonna spotlight it here (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah. i'm just gonna skip on down to the next week and here we are at december 22nd and right out the gate uh, we have a big one for me um that would be akira on 4k Uh, so this would be the animated film the japanese animated film from 1988 uh 
I already own this movie on DVD and Blu-ray, and now I might have to upgrade to 4K because this is one of those movies that this is eye candy, the movie. Um, in terms of hand-drawn, like, hand-painted animation, holy fucking shit, uh, it's hard to beat this movie. Um, it, it looks incredible. And if you if you know even a little bit about what it takes to, to make an animated film, uh, you can find a way to appreciate this, um, even with all the massive gaping plot holes, <laughs> because this is not a coherent story by any means. But from a pure audiovisual standpoint, uh, this is one of the most influential movies of its era, and it's gorgeous to look at. And I'd be really curious to see it in 4K. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I've never seen this one, but certainly, in terms of anime, uh, that Ghost in the Shell certainly are some of the ones that have uh, you know permeated out into the mainstream, if you want to call it that. So uh, I'm I I would be curious to check this one out because you know I have heard very good things about it, um, and I don't know much. Uh, I haven't really dipped my toes too far into the the genre of anime, so. Uh, I don't know if this would be a good one to uh, kind of get myself in or... I, I mean, it might be to your benefit that you aren't terribly familiar with like the tropes and the trappings of the genre because uh, it kind of stands apart from a lot of it because a lot of the things they did for this movie are radically different from like the general norms surrounding Japanese animation productions. Like uh, r- really little strange things like uh, um, lip movements generally for whatever reason in Japanese animation, they aren't too keen on matching mouth movements of characters to the voice performances. Yeah. And this one, they actually went to great lengths to try to match that. And uh, crowd scenes in this movie are incredible. Just the number of moving elements from each frame is just like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, how many animated, like how many animators died or got carpal tunnel making this shit? Because <laughs> really, it, 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 just watch it, Brad, just, <laughs> like, i'll check it out i'll check it out just from an aesthetic standpoint the especially because uh that cyberpunk 2077 game came out um i mean the kind of neon 80s uh grimy fu- future look like retro future look is really in right now um this movie is kind of what inspired a lot of that um blade runner inspired this but this took it to in a different direction and really kind of codified that that look and that feel um, but yeah, the the number of productions this film influenced are off the charts. Like it, it's it's still influencing things to this day. In fact, Kanye West has been wanting to be uh, <laughs> in the the live action adaptation of this film for years now, and I wouldn't be surprised if he is still pushing for that. Uh, I know Leonardo DiCaprio was was uh, fingered to be like in it at some point, but uh, getting this live action production off the ground has been a really tricky process it's been in the works pretty much since the movie came out in 1988 and yeah i have a feeling we're gonna get it pretty soon because like i said this look and this feel is very in vogue right now and the time is right um and you know from a storytelling standpoint live action version in english will probably be more coherent than this one because (laughs) this is an example of trying to take like a gigantic sprawling comic and put it into like a two-hour movie it's like Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not going to make a lick of sense. <laughs> so just, you know, sit back, take in the pretty pictures and the and the cool sounds. Um, Very cool. Yeah. 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 yeah check it out, Brad. Um, we have a bunch of re-releases of much, much older films from the 40s. Uh, we have The Craft Legacy from 2020. This was 
what did this hit theaters because this came out in the midst of covid i want to say it didn't i think it might have just been one of those uh video on demand uh twenty dollar rental you know things but uh um I'm not sure. I've never seen the original craft, so uh, I didn't have too much interest in this one, although it is a Blumhouse film, and I kind of have a bit of a OCD thing where I kind of watch anything they put out, even if it's crap. Uh, so I might check it out at some point. But, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard much about this. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It, it, uh, it looked like crap <laughs> from where <laughs> I'm sitting, but uh, I like the first film quite a bit. Um, yeah. I have some nostalgia for that one. It's a good time, but this one I can't be bothered with. Um, moving on, uh, we have The War with Grandpa, where uh, Robert De Niro continues to uh, track mud all over the tail end of his filmography. Yeah. This one did hit theaters. It did? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. And Christopher Walken is in this one as well. Um, yeah. You know. This this is one of the times where when theaters first opened and things were a little better, I was kind of... You know, my girlfriend lives pretty close to a theater, and we were just looking on the uh, theater's app for any empty screenings. We were like, oh, we just want to go out and get some popcorn and support our theater. So just any empty screening we would have gone to. And uh, I got to say, at least at our theater, the war with Grandpa, people were loving it. There were no empty screenings of this one, (laughs) uh, oddly, at least at the times we wanted to go see it. Um, So I will not be checking this out uh, on Blu-ray. This That was a unique scenario where I would have gone to see the war with grandpa. Uh, well, you know, I, for one, I'm happy for you, Brad. <laughs> I'm sure it's not out. as bad. I'm sure it's not as bad as it looks, but yeah. you know, there's certain things I want to see Robert De Niro do. And this is not that, mm-hmm. um, but moving on, uh, looks like we have a, a handful of titles coming out on December 29th, which will close out the month. Um, and it's mostly anime from the 90s, uh, stuff that I unfortunately am not familiar with. Uh, Devilman Lady, uh, uh, the the Netflix show of that, uh, Devilman Crybaby, is something actually that I've been flirting with the idea of checking out. Because it's apparently very short. It's like eight episodes. And I've heard it's fantastic. Um, and the art style is puzzling like it's so off the wall and strange that i don't know what i don't i can't make heads or tails of it it's so different and loud and the color palette's off like just doing its own thing um but i know the devil man's story like i can't remember if it was from the 80s or the late 70s but it's a it's a gold nagai story and he's like one of the kind of godfathers of manga and anime and uh i know the devil man's story pretty well and it sounds like they're just doing that, but like in like the late 2010s version of it. And it sounds pretty fucking twisted, but it sounds pretty fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I can't speak for Devilman Lady, but uh, Devilman Crybaby. I don't have Netflix, but I do have a girlfriend who has Netflix. And I might have to cash in some brownie points with her and be like, hey, you want to see something twisted and fucked up? No? Well, too bad. We're together. This is a package deal. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe someday. But uh, the last movie I'll draw attention to here, uh, unless The Last Shift is something that you know something about, uh, I do not. I've heard it's uh, good. I've heard Richard Jenkins is good in it. Um, I kind of forgot all about it until I saw it here. I kind of just added it into my watch list, but um, I don't have anything really to say about it other than I hear Richard Jenkins is quite good. I mean, he's Richard Jenkins. He's yeah. He only has to be Richard Jenkins, and I'm happy. 
Like yeah, he doesn't yeah. even have to act. He can just show up and be his, his cantankerous self, and I'll be mm-hmm. very happy. Um, <laughs> and it looks like Ed O'Neill's in there too, so he's always oh, nice. fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the last movie is one that uh, I mentioned offhand, not realizing it was coming out in December. Uh, the Honest Thief, twenty twenty, yep. Liam Neeson, and he does have a gun in his hands, and um, that is a Lionsgate cover for a not Lionsgate film. <laughs> um, I will more than likely end up watching this because if Liam Neeson punches people in it, oh shit. Jai Courtney's in it. Maybe he'll punch Jai Courtney. Oh, there you go. There you go. Brad, Brad, if he punches Jai Courtney, I will buy this. <laughs> uh, if I watch it, I will let you know if that uh, if that goes down. Yeah, just just like send me a message on Twitter and just tell me he like don't don't even say Liam Neeson. Just he punches Jai Courtney, <laughs> and I'll be like sold. <laughs> you got my money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was another one that uh, came out in theaters, and it's like. Other than Tenet, when theaters opened, it was pretty much all just garbage movies I didn't care about. Except this one came out, and I was like, I actually want to see that. I, I, that's one I actually maybe would have gone out to see, you know, in a normal world. Um, but I uh, didn't get a chance to see it, so uh, curious to watch it at home. I don't know when I'll take a poke at it, but at some point I will. Well, it looks like he has some sort of working relationship with Liam Neeson because his next film is The Marksman which I've recently seen trailers for and that also is headlined by Liam Neeson Um, Mm -hmm. he's also worked on Ozark and uh, The Accountant um, more than likely as a producer or a writer I I know for a fact he didn't direct uh, The Accountant Um, I will watch The Honest Thief this is a Redbox movie for me for sure and like I said if he does hit someone and and especially if it's Jack Courtney you are getting my money. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that, that closes out uh, December. So we'll just do our, uh, our wrap-up ritual here wherein we take one last look at all the releases for the month and, uh, I don't know, just finger anything that we, we think we're going to pick up this month. Um, so I guess it, Brad might be caught off guard, so I'll go first. Um, going from bottom to top... Honest Thief is a rental for now, but if Brad sees it and confirms Jack Courtney eats one in the fucking teeth, um, yeah, I will probably buy that. <laughs> uh, Akira on 4K, uh, yeah, all but certain that I'm going to buy that. Uh, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it's it's going to be on my shelf eventually. Um, sorry, American Rickshaw, I'm not going to spend money on you, but it was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun watching the Red Letter Media guys tear into that one. Um, the Wolf of Snow Hollow, uh, I really, really did like. Uh, I might end up buying that. In fact, I said as much on our on our recording of it. Um, the Ipman box set, already got it, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tenant, uh, everything you said on your review for it, Brad. I, sorry, I don't think I can blind buy it, mm-hmm. but I really, really, really want to see it. So if That's if, fair. It, if I end up if I end up seeing it, more than likely I probably will buy it. Um, and the Dark and the Wicked may end up having to do it for the show but i'm not about to buy that so that'll be a rental uh the howl from beyond the fog uh if that is <laughs> if they haven't sold out their 1000 copies of that I might i might throw some cash at them uh, versus from arrow might grab that too possessor i think i'll rent i don't think i'm gonna buy that um total recall on 4k that's another big maybe and mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to get Blade on 4K, but I already have the Blu-ray, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, how about you, Brad? Uh, I'll go. I'll go top to bottom. Um, I'll. I probably will. I don't know when, but I will be getting the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy on 4K. I'm sure, um, just because I would like to revisit those. Um, Blade. I do want to see. I don't know if I would buy that uh, on 4K. Um, Total Recall, though, is one again I haven't seen, but I, that is one uh, I will probably pick up on 4K just because why not watch it in the best quality for the first time you see it right just go all in it's a safe purchase yeah exactly it you're you're all but assured it's going to be a fun time yeah um i've already bought possessor 4k uh let's see already bought tenant 4k um tremors i will i'm sure at some point buy it on 4k but i did just rewatch it um earlier this year so uh, I might just wait a little bit on that. Um, and outside of that, I think that's uh, that's pretty much everything. All right. Sounds good. Um, well, that being said, uh, thank you so much for joining me in reviewing uh, the Blu-ray releases for December, Brad. Um, how about you let the folks at home know where they can find you and your wonderful podcast? Uh, well, it's uh, Cinema Speak Podcast is where you can find us. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can just search for us there. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. On Twitter, you can follow us at The Cinema Speak. Um, Instagram, it's Cinema Speak Podcast. And then uh, if you want to just find a web page with all our episodes, it's cinemaspeak.libsyn.com. All right. Thanks for that, Brad. Rolls off the tongue real smooth-like. <laughs> Um, but for my piece, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other uh, Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find our podcast hosted on pretty much any platform you can imagine. Uh, so fucking Google us or something. Um, and if you'd like to reach out to us on the social medias, uh, we do have an Instagram at catchinguponcinema.com or at catchinguponcinema, as well as a Twitter at catchingcinema. Uh, so feel free to hit me up there if you want to, you know, let me know about all my gross inaccuracies when speaking about films or, you know, suggest uh, future episodes and whatnot. Uh, but that being said, uh, thank you so much again, Brad, for joining me here on our Catching Up on Blu-ray episode. And uh, folks at home, we will catch you next time. Okay, well, I really, really, really have to pee, so I'll be right back. Okay, cool, cool. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good, man, yeah. It's all that coffee. That's all. <laughs> that's all that's in there. Sugar and coffee. <laughs>